This evening's reading is from Genesis 45. This can be found on page 50 of the Church Bibles. Joseph makes himself known. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph, is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen, and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept, and Benjamin embraced him, weeping, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. When the news reached Pharaoh's palace that Joseph's brothers had come, Pharaoh and all his officials were pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and return to the land of Canaan and bring your father and your families back to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you can enjoy the fat of the land. You are also directed to tell them, do this. Take some carts from Egypt for your children and your wives and get your father and come. Never mind about your belongings because the best of all Egypt will be yours. So the sons of Israel did this. Joseph gave them carts as Pharaoh had commanded, and he also gave them provisions for their journey. To each of them he gave new clothing, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five sets of clothes. And this is what he said to his father, ten donkeys loaded with the best things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain and bread and other provisions for his journey. Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving he said to them, don't quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They told him, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he is the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, I'm convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Thank you very much, Lottie. Let me put that there for you. 
there's a particular type of um, TV show, or at least part of a TV show, that just you know, gets me all the time, um, and I could just watch lots of. Um, and I'm sure many of you have seen it before as well. It usually involves someone like uh, her, this person. Um, on the, I won't do the... I'm very tempted to do the kind of the accent, but I, it'll just be embarrassing for us all, so I won't do that. But it's those moments where you kind of, you know, have that, that family reunion. You know, they're kind of... Um, they're going, oh, so you, you haven't seen your, your you know, your long-lost whatever for 10 years. Well, surprise, surprise, they're, they're here tonight... It's been going on for years, hasn't it? It's been a format that is, uh, is well-tested and well-tried. There was Noel's Christmas presents. If you had Sky, you could have watched that back in the day. And even sort of last week, if you watched Michael McIntyre's big show, uh, it was on that as well. And sorry, Matt, you've pressed something, Matt, on the Kandari. My big show, where, you know, there's people from Honduras and she's going to brought back again. It's that sort of real sort of heartwarming moment that he thinks that there's something inside of us that just loves this this family reunion, these families getting back together who haven't seen each other for a long time. But there is also kind of a, another type of reunion, which we don't normally see in the, sort of the reality TV shows and Saturday Night Entertainment. To be honest, they're more the realm of, sort of Bond movies. Um, here's Mr. Safin. It's when you have somebody who's done something and you've basically left them for dead and then they come back like 10, 15 years later, and they're kind of out for revenge against them and the whole world. Do you know the sort of bond sort of story you get? Uh, and I, I don't know about you, but when I read the, the Joseph story, you kind of wonder, if, if you had to guess, you know, you'd kind of guess that it's the latter. You know, this guy who's been left for dead, who's been abandoned, you'd kind of imagine that if he had the chance... That's what he would do. I mean, because of course he's been um, sold for dead by his brothers. Uh, he's been uh, sort of been the one who's been put into prison. Uh, he's been the one who's been a slave, uh, and now he has the power, and he's literally got his brothers in his hands. The one who gave him to be dead, and you sort of would imagine that. Isn't he going to just sort of crush them like they deserve? That's kind of, if you're reading the story, where you might think it might go. But of course, what actually happens is quite different. So let's pray as we look at this chapter together. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the story of Joseph. Thank you for the way that you have been at work throughout the whole time. Uh, and we pray this evening as we come to this uh, great event uh, that you would help us to see how you've been working in the life of Joseph, but actually how you continue to work in your world today. Oh, man. I mean, it, the brothers must have been really confused, mustn't they? I mean, they, they don't know if they're kind of the favoured few who are kind of, you know, being given special treatment or if they're just kind of being fattened up as like some sort of fattened calf to be sacrificed. Uh, I mean, they've gone through this, this kind of backwards and forwards a few times, going back home, coming back again. Uh, and then they had the, the cup, Benjamin's, yeah, the cup being found in Benjamin's bag, which they know is a plant. And they're like, this is just their way of, of sort of doing with us. And then Judah sort of pleads to stay. Uh, and then... Uh, beginning of, of verse 1, you know, Joseph tells everyone to go. 
to leave. And then he talked to them. Now, remember, he hasn't spoken to them directly the whole time. He's always been using an interpreter. They assume everything they say cannot be heard, heard by him, the most powerful man in front of them. And then suddenly he tells his attendants to go, an Egyptian, and he talks to them. And he says, I am Joseph. And now Stephen talked about a cliffhanger, but if I'm writing a TV series, this is the moment I choose to end the episode. This moment he says, I am Joseph. You know, it's the moment when we decide, is this the, the surprise, surprise moment, or is this the, the, the production of some supervillain who's going to have his way? Uh, this is the moment that the episode goes, douche, the famous 24 clock just grinds to the hour. I mean, the suspense is, is huge. What's going to happen? I mean, it's no wonder, is it, that the brothers are terrified. They're just afraid. What is going to happen? And Joseph knows that. Joseph feels that. So he says, uh, verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. When they'd done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Not getting any better at this point. But then he says, verse 5, And do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. That God sent me ahead of you. Verse 6, For two years now there's been famine in the land, and for the next five years there'll be no plowing and reaping, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. Verse 8, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. I mean, mean, talk about a kind of a a Copernium revolution. Copernicus was the guy who decided that, or not decided, didn't decide, (laughs) discovered uh, that it wasn't the the earth didn't kind of go, sorry, the sun didn't go around the earth, the earth went around the sun. And here, Joseph has completely changed from his beginning. He's realized that he's not kind of the one that the whole earth revolves around. Like we might have thought at the beginning of the story, here he knows that actually that it's God who's at the center. That his life goes around God and the Lord is the one who's in charge. Joseph sees that and says, God did that to save people. He did that to save the Egyptians in this famine. He did that to save your family. And he did it to save others. This is God's good plan. This is why it happened. God did it to save many souls. And he talks quite specifically as well in verse 7, doesn't he? But God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant. A remnant. A remnant is 
telling us or, or drawing back pictures to that great promise in Genesis 12, if you were with us in the morning services as we went through the Abraham story. Yet we might remember that there was that moment where God promised Abraham that he'd be the father of a great nation. And here, Joseph is sort of drawing back that imagery of saying, look, the Lord will keep his promise to be uh, his people. Verse 8, so then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of the entire household and ruler of Egypt. Look, Lord, the Lord sent me here to keep. Keep. God's people. And so he says, go back to my father. Go back to my father. Go back and then come back. Come back here. Come and live in a good land. Come and live in the fertile land, Goshen, which is kind of the delta of the Nile, which is just really, really fertile. Again, it's almost like saying, go back uh, and live in the land that is good. Uh, almost reminding us of Eden. He's saying, come and live in the good land. And at this, the, the tension just seems to evaporate. And then we do get that surprise, surprise moment in verse 14. And 15, then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him, weeping. And he kissed his brothers and wept over them. Afterwards, his, brother talk, his brothers talked with him. That family reunion is complete. The brothers are back together again. And then, of course, Pharaoh is happy to, to offer hospitality. Uh, he, he, he's heard about, about the story. I mean, he heard Joseph crying and the whole family, family household heard it. And he's pleased to, to offer uh, the best of Egypt uh, to, the, to Joseph's family. And then Joseph sends them off. And he sends them off, uh, verse 22, with new clothes. I mean, what does that remind you of? Uh, remember that clothing was the, the symbol, really, of the kind of the divide in the brothers. That sort of robe of many colours that Joseph was wearing. It was the symbol of that division, whereas here it's the symbol of unity. And Benjamin, the favoured younger brother, is given five sets and a whole bunch of silver. But notice, nobody cares. There's no moaning. There's no division. In fact, Joseph makes sure that, doesn't he? Verse 24, he says, Then he sent his brothers away, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Don't quarrel on your way. And the brothers return home. At the family reunions, nearly complete. Jacob eventually comes to believe that his boy is alive. And then he sets off to go back to see him. And we'll see that uh, over the coming chapters. It's a powerful story. It's a powerful story of, of the family reunion, of God bringing back his family together. 
But what's really going on here? What's going on in this story? Well, I think at its core, it's the Lord working to fulfill his promise. There have been threats, haven't there, to to derail that. That promise, remember, of of making a great people. uh, To carry on the family line. There's been the the threat of famine. Is that going to wipe out the family? Well, God works to, to overcome that. Uh, the threat of, uh, of politics, of them being excluded. Well, God works to overcome that. Uh, the threat of uh, internal disruption and division. Well, God has worked to overcome that. He's removed it and resolved it. God is accomplishing his promise. He's accomplishing that promise to, to make his people a great people. Uh, He is uh, giving them his blessing. But they're not in their own land. So this is the uh, beginning of the outworking, but it's not the end. Uh, This is not the the end of the story. Uh, He's beginning to overcome some of those issues. He's beginning to fulfill those promises. that They're growing in number. They're experiencing God's favor, but they're in Egypt. They're not in the promised land. So God is gathering together some of these issues. But they're not fully resolved yet. We need a bigger story uh, for that one. So what are we to make of this? Well, underpinning all of these things is God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. Now, what do we mean when we say God's sovereignty? Well, I think you know, we could say God's sovereignty means that God knows what he wants to do. He's able to do it. And he will accomplish it. Now, God knows what he wants to do. He's able to do it. And he will accomplish it. That's what I think God's sovereignty uh, is about. And we're going to come back to this issue again later in Genesis uh, on the 9th, not 9th, on the uh, 2nd of April. Uh, And it will be me preaching again then. But we're going to read these words from Genesis 50, uh, verse 20. It says, You intended to, this is Joseph speaking to his brothers after his father has died. He said to them, verse 19, but Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. So tonight then, uh, rather than apply that kind of directly into our own lives Uh, I'm going to just think about it tonight in the term of of what we might term salvation history and what I mean by that is uh, is the way that God has worked in the world to bring about his salvation plan that is to say that there is a, a thread that weaves through the whole bible 
which holds together God's purposes in salvation. God worked in real time space history through a, a real people to both point towards and create the exact conditions by which he could save us, not from famine or sword, but from sin and death. As we were to read the Bible from start to finish, here in Genesis, as we have been pointing forward and saying, this helps us to understand a little bit about what Jesus is like. And then we move forward to Exodus and we see again, and we say, oh, this way that the, the God's people were brought out of Egypt in the Exodus helps us to understand a little bit about how God saves his people. Then we move forward through the whole history, through the kings, through exile, through return, until we land upon the person of the Lord Jesus. And all this is to say that there is not one thing, not one thing that can stop God achieving his purpose. No evil action no human agent, not one thing can stop or has stopped the Lord working in history. And of course, most supremely, we, we see that outworking in the death of Jesus himself. Most supremely, we see that as the most evil act that could ever be unfolded. God's, the killing of God's own son which results in the salvation of all people. See, nothing can derail God's plan. Uh, Joseph here is looking back on his life and saying, look, some things have happened. There's some things that, that you intended for a particular purpose, but, but underneath it all, God was working for good. Underneath it all, God was working for the salvation of his people. And tonight we have to remember that the big purpose of that was so that God would keep his promises going. It was that he'd be working so that at just the right time, the Lord Jesus might appear to do what we could not to save us from our sins. So why does all this matter? Well, it means that there's nothing that can derail God's plan to bring his children home. Nothing. No person, situation, or sin. And as we look at this story of Joseph, we want to have confidence that God knows what he's doing. As we look at the story of Joseph, we, we see how the Lord has been working. It helps us to have that confidence to know. And then as we look at the story of Jesus, we have confidence that God has acted. We have confidence that God knows what he's doing. So this evening, we may find ourselves in a situation wondering, I don't know what the Lord is doing. And I said we'll, we'll touch back on again and in perhaps our own lives a bit later, but in those moments when we had wonders and doubts, 
We stand in the privileged situation of not having to look around and wonder. But we can look back and know. We can say, I know the Lord knows what he's doing. Why? Because I can look back at what he's already done. I can look back at the story of Joseph, but actually, more supremely, I can look back at the story of Jesus. It might be that, that you're here tonight and you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. That's wonderful that you're here. And if that's you, then actually, because we can uh, look back and know, it means that we can look back and test those claims of Jesus. Because the claims of Christianity stand and fall on the claims of Jesus. So the same confidence that the Christian has is the same question that we can ask about him to see actually if it's all that. So as we close tonight, this is a great family reunion. But really it's the great culmination of the Lord gathering his promises together of working in the person of Joseph, of working in, in the whole family, this dysfunctional, disunited family, to give us a little picture of the way he's working to bring his family together so that today we may have confidence to say, God has acted. And whatever I face today or tomorrow, I can do that knowing The Lord knows what he's doing. There is not one person, situation or sin that will stop his children from coming home. He's proved it once, twice, a million times. And he will do it for each of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this great climax of the story we thank you for the way that you have just been working in just the right way to bring the family together and we thank you lord for that confidence that we have that you've just been working in just the right way to bring your family together as we've been saved through jesus lord help us to hold fast to that this day and always. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.